Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind, Healthy Life with your host Avik. This podcast is all about exploring the latest research, sharing personal stories and providing personal tips for improving our mental health and well-being. Each episodes will be joined by experts in the field of mental health as well as individuals who have experienced the transformative power of a healthy mind firsthand. Together we will dive into a range of topics from managing stress and anxiety to building resilience and cultivating happiness. So, join us on this journey to discover new ways to take care of our minds, bodies and souls and let's work together to create a healthier, happier world one episode at a time. So, let's get started. Hello and welcome to Healthy Mind Healthy Life the podcast that explores the transformative power of nurturing our mental well-being for a more fulfilling and balanced life. I'm your host Avik and today we have a truly remarkable guest joining us. Please welcome Farah Fisher, a British national with an Indian heart who has journeyed across cultures and geographies embracing the diverse facets of her identity. So her upbringing in North India surrounded by a rich tapestry of religious and cultural influences instilled in her a deep appreciation for the interconnectedness of the world so with over 3 decades of experience in the banking industry farah has built her career across continents demonstrating her ability to navigate diverse environments and thrive professionally so however her personal life took an unexpected turn when she faced the ultimately loss of her mother so struggling to make sense of the profound mysteries of life and death she embarked on a profound inward quest for strength and healing so through various self healing practices including baking and yoga she discovered a positive outlet for her pain and loss eventually arriving at a place of equanimity so her memoir meher and me delves into her mother daughter relationship and the profound lessons she had learned through life's challenges so from the shocking phone call that changed her world to the journey of healing and self discovery farah shares her insights and experiences with remarkable vulnerability and authenticity so through her memoir farah aims to offer valuable takeaways from her personal journey inspiring listeners to find their own unique blend of tools to navigate life's hardships her story is a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the power of embracing our innate emotional strength so join us as we dive deep into her captivating journey gaining wisdom and inspiration along the way so we hope that her story will resonate you leaving you with valuable insights to apply in your own life so whether without a further ado let's welcome farah to healthy mind and healthy healthy life and explore the transformative power of resilience self discovery and the pursuit of equanimity 
So welcome to the show, Farah. Thank you, Abhik. Thanks for hosting me. Nice to be here. Great, great. So, Farah, like before we get uh, deep into this uh, topic, like can you share more about your multicultural background and how it has uh, shaped your perspective on society, culture, and family dynamics? Sure. Thank you. Um, as a child, I don't think any of us have that much influence about how we grew up or where we grew up, right? That's kind of the parents' decision. So I was born in London, um, and when I was four, my mother took me to see my grandmother, my nani, in Lucknow. Um, I'm a Parsi by faith, and through a series of circumstances, we ended up living in Lucknow for the next 14 years. So I grew up in Lucknow, which is a Muslim city in UP, as you would know, the capital. Um, I went to a Catholic convent, Loreto, which there's one in Delhi as well. Um, and it was just a very diverse upbringing without, like it wasn't forced. It was just the nature of where we were growing up at the crossroads of the Hindu, the Muslim and the Christian sort of influences converging in this Parsi home. And then when I was 18, um, I made the decision to return to the UK. So I went back to London to continue my education and started my career there. And then for the last uh, 22 years, I've been based in Dubai in the Middle East. So I've had the opportunity to see and experience India, UK and Dubai, and all three are home to me. And the, the diversity just allows a human being to appreciate different points of view. I think if we grow up in any one part of the world or any one type of society, you would um, make make the sort of conclusion that that way is the right way or the only way. Whereas when you are exposed to different cultures and different societies and different ways of being, you understand and appreciate there's more than one way to do the same thing. There's more than one way to relate. Um, but family is family. I think regardless of the culture, family is always the nexus of any human being's world. That's how we come into the world. And that is what grounds us. And the relationship with the mother is your first relationship, if you like, as you come to be. Um, and that bond is a very strong one, I think, regardless of whichever culture we come from, um, I'd like to think. That's true. That's true. So um, also, like, as someone who has, um, like, have different cultures and geographies uh, been to, so how to, uh, how do you believe that, the society and the culture impact our understanding of family and its roles in our lives? It's an interesting question because if you think about India, right, the family is uh, front and center, right? Um, the duty to the parent, the respect of the elders, uh, making sure you look after your parents and making sure you fulfill your responsibilities as a child. Mm -hmm. You go to somewhere like the UK, society and family has a very different dynamic, right? In India, it's quite normal for an adult child to be staying with their parents or for the parents to be staying with the child, right? In the UK, that may not be the case. There are most families, and I'm talking mainly from the British families, not mm. any other culture. There, the child would typically leave home aged 18 or after graduate, even before graduation. And the expectation is that the child becomes independent so as not to be what might be considered a financial burden on the parents, right? Um, 
there is also not the same expectation that we might have in India on our children to fulfill their responsibilities towards the parent. The parents are almost okay to be independent, the child's okay to be independent, but what you then observe is as the parent gets older, there isn't necessarily that same sense of duty or responsibility or caretaking that we might have in India for the elderly, right? You come to the Middle East, Middle East is probably closer to India in its ethos, right? They're very family-centric, children are um, front and center, and the parent is, you know, always ahead of the family and always respected and always, always, you know, looked after. So different geographies, different cultures, different societies place different expectations on you and you are informed and you behave according to the society you're in. For example, in the Middle East, if um, if I'm going out and I'm going out in public, Things like you would cover your shoulders, or if you're going into a mall, you would just make sure you dress appropriately. Or if it's Ramadan, you understand there are certain traditions that you would need to adhere to. So it's you get informed by the society around you, the culture around you, you absorb it. And to assimilate and to be part of where you're at, you need to also um exhibit parts of those culture or absorb parts of those culture and become part of that society because otherwise you're isolated and you're trying to retain a cultural inference that may not be applicable anymore, right? So it's like if you go to England and you're an Indian, but you're trying to maintain your Indian traditions in a very British society, there's going to be a little bit of a conflict um, either with the younger generation or even in yourself as to where do I belong and where do I fit in. So I think society plays a huge role. Um, There can be different thinking in each of the societies and different geographies. You try and stay true to who you are and your values whilst being part of the society you live in. Understood. So from your personal journey, like how did you navigate the challenges of reconciling the mysteries of life and death and can you also tell me like or tell us like about the self-healing practices that helped you find the strength and the meaning so i don't i don't know if (laughs) i can say i've reconciled or even know about the mysteries of life and death right it's still a mystery Um, let's put it that way but i think all of us in our lives are going to face, you know, the loss of someone close to us is just part and parcel of being human. I think what I have learned with the passage of time is how to reconcile and how to make peace with the fact that I've lost one of the most important persons in my life. Um, And to find a way of being that allows you to think of them without the sadness or the emotional sort of anxiety that might arise if you think of them. So their memories, their, um, there are thoughts, there's the voice in the head that what might my mother have said, there's the, there's all the legacy of everything she's taught me or she's left me with from, you know, um, her laughter or her jokes or anything she's gifted me from material things to intangible things. So that, doesn't go away that stays but you have to now find a way of being um, without the person's physical presence so when I first lost her it was um, 
as I'm sure your readers and your listeners, when they read the book, will understand it was an untimely loss. It was a tragic loss. It was, it, we couldn't make sense of it. It was something like this is not meant to happen and how could it happen? And then you try and find a way to, you know, it's very hard to accept it because there's you can't make sense of it. So that acceptance takes a really long time. And I don't know if anyone truly accepts that this could have happened, but you have to find a way to just make peace with it for a period of time for your own peace of mind. Um, so I started with everything from reading books. I read a lot of books about death and loss, you know, uh, Dr. Brian Weiss talks about it. Deepak Chopra talks about it. Uh, there's the books of living and dying um, by the Buddhist monks. So there's lots of reading that I did. Um, I went to therapy, worked with a therapist on grief and counseling and how to try and process the grief. I did a lot of breath work, so holotropic breath work, which is shamanic breath work to try and release things in a non-verbal way. Um, and a lot of movement, body movement. So yoga, I was unable to sit and meditate, but I find yoga very meditative for me. So it's moving meditation. Um, and it just helps calm the mind for me and just ground me. So that really helped. I developed a very strong, meaningful practice in that. And then cooking. You know, India, we love cooking. We love feeding. We love eating. Um, and my mother was a foodie, as was my grandmother. So it comes through the family. So I found a lot of joy being in the kitchen and cooking and preparing and baking mainly more than um, anything, just for friends or family. Or It was creative. It was also meditative because when you're focused on baking or cooking or measuring or getting the ingredients, your, your mind is not able to necessarily go off to other places where you don't want it to. So you're more in the moment and in the present and it helps um, focus your mind and the output, whatever you baked or cooked or fed your friends and family gives a little bit of joy. Um, so that kind of was the journey that I um, took and embarked on to try and just find a way of being uh, without engulfed in this huge sense of loss all the time. I understood. Like, um, also, also, I'll just um, like also inform or share this thing with the listeners that um with this episode when uh with this episode description you will find uh, her book details you can definitely uh, uh, go to that link you can read the book and please do share um uh, about about the same about the feedback about the reviews for sure also like uh, yeah so coming back like the mind body connection is a crucial aspect of holistic well-being so now, how have you personally experienced the influence of this connection in your own life and uh, maybe the practices or strategies that uh, you found effective in nurturing it? It's a really important connection. So the Parsis, we have this saying, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother would say to me, think good thoughts, you know, and say good things and do good things and it'll all flow your mind and your body and your soul is sort of aligned and connected. But when you're a child or a young person, you don't quite appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but again, with the passage of time and through, say, the yoga practice, when you realize that your mind, I think the mind is such a massive tool, right? And we maybe underestimate the power of the mind. But today, 
everyone will read on social media. You know, you can visualize, you can manifest the power of now, but all that is doing is harnessing the power of your mind. So what you're telling your mind to do is focus on something or to wish for something and you're aligning yourself to the energy of the universe, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and your body moves, but really sometimes if you're a little bit low, you might find your body has less energy. But if you're excited about something, your body has a lot more energy and that is created internally from your mind. So it's we have it within ourselves to be able to self-regulate ourselves, right? To self-regulate ourselves in terms of our energy levels or our mindset or even our happiness in a way, right? It all starts in how your perspective is. So for me, if I wake up in the morning, the first thing is, you know, thank you for today. It's um, gratitude for the day. It's gratitude for the good things in life. Um, I make sure I look after my body with exercise and yoga and, you know, I eat very healthy as well. Um, but the mind is, it's trying to focus the mind on what one wants it to focus on. And there will always be the random thought and there'll always be the negative thought. But if you can sort of park that to one side or just say for today, you know, whatever the negative thought is, I'm going to put you to one side and just focus on what I'm doing for now. And I'll deal with you when I'm a little bit better equipped. Um, I think you will find it easier to move in your body, right? And when your thoughts and your words and your actions are all in alignment, I feel that's when you're standing in your integrity. And that's when, as a human being, I think you're at your best. True, exactly. So uh, the next question is for the individuals or the professionals uh, who strive for harmony within the workplace. So now, like uh, from your extensive career in the banking industry, uh, how have you observed the intersections of uh, culture, society, the connection between mind-body within that professional setting? So I think when, so people might say to you, you bring, you're different at work, you're different at home, right? And yes, there will be a corporate part of you. But I think the person you are is still the person that you're bringing to the office. So today I might bring my whole self to the office. So whether I enjoy baking and I might take a cake or I like flowers in my office and I'll make sure there are flowers in my house and there'll be flowers in my office. And that's part of what I like to surround myself with. I think someone said something interesting recently. You can disagree without being disagreeable. So work, there will always be challenges. And this week at work has been particularly challenging as an example, but it's about trying to maintain the harmony of the individual relationship while balancing the conflicting priorities that two different functions or units have, right? And not making it personal. I think a lot of the issues that arise is when it becomes personal or people take it personal or make it personal. And I think I always strive in, even in my communication, that it's not I don't make it out like the word you or I or whatever. It's not personal. It's about this is the activity. This is your activity. We may have different points of view. We may have different stakeholders. We have missed different priorities. But if we can just find a way to collaborate and get things done together, it's always going to be a better outcome. So my philosophy or the culture I try and impart to my team is also about collaboration. Like, let's understand the other person's point of view. Let's think about it from 
a 360 point of view? How will it benefit everyone, not just from our vantage point or our unit's activity, but at an organizational level, what's the right thing to do? Um, if we can do that, then I think it makes for slightly more harmonious working relationships, you know, the normal tensions aside, which will always be there. Perfect. Perfect. So also the uh, balancing the tradition and adaptation can be a complex task, especially in the uh, like uh, rapidly evolving world. So how do you approach uh, like raising culturally aware and emotionally resilient children? So what advice do you have for the parents for for these challenges? <laughs> it's an interesting one. Um, so I have two grown-up children, um, and it's culturally aware. I think comes from you know they're grown up in the house. I spoke, I speak Hindi to them. You know, growing them up as children, but they've gone to a school in Dubai where English is the predominant language. While they've also had Arabic lessons, right? So they've still got that multicultural. Um, surrounding and Dubai is again one of those multicultural cities where they've got exposed to so many different cultures and their friends come from all different parts. So I think the cultural aspects, you know, just organically they're exposed to when we go home to our hometown in Lucknow every year and they may go to London every year. So again, they get the spectrum of the culture all around. I think the emotional resilience for children is really interesting because None of us get really taught that if you have problem one, you do A, B, C, and if you have problem two, you do something different because everyone will encounter a different variation of a problem. Um, and someone used this term about lawnmower parents, parents who try and go and mow the grass so that the children don't encounter the weeds. But I think part of their learning and part of their journey is encountering the weeds to understand how to deal with it and how to build their resilience. It means resilience comes from overcoming challenges, right? Or in the face of adversity, still being strong or staying strong in the face of adversity. So that is not a skill set that you can acquire from a textbook. That is something that you have to grow through experience. And Part of that experience may not always be nice experiences. There will need to be some challenges, right? Um, but it's allowing your children the freedom to make the mistakes while knowing that you're there in the background to always support them. And you're there if they need anything, but giving them the space to explore and be the people that they're meant to be. So again, I heard something that as you become a parent of an older child, you stop being a manager and you become a consultant. And that's kind of the role that I'm hoping I'm being able to fulfill, not managing, but there to consult should they need my advice. Wow, that's that's nicely said. So again, again, uh, from the okay. cultural perspective, like cultural tradition often provide a valuable wisdom for holistic well-being. So like, could, could you share some cultural practices or the rituals that uh, you found uh, particularly impactful in fostering harmony within oneself and uh, the family in it, for sure? Um, cultural practices. I think because we have such um, a variety of religious um, 
influences. Our practices are more, as you say, cultural and not religious, if you like. So for me, dinner around the table or coming together for a meal is fairly important. I know today's society people may take their food on a train, sit in front of the television. That's not been something I've ever encouraged. As you might be able to see, there's no TV in my front room because I just think no matter how busy we are, how hectic we are, if we come together and just share whatever happened in the day, and maybe someone's had such a bad day that they can't even speak, but we're all together. That's, uh, for me, has always been a practice that I have maintained. Um, taking the children home to where we come from to know their roots. I think identity, roots, belonging, those are very topical in today's day and age where people are digital nomads, right? You could be sitting anywhere and working from anywhere. And the question of where do you belong always comes in. So that sense of belonging, that sense of identity, that sense of awareness of um, the long line of lineage that we all come from, just to associate yourself to that. I find that has been um, useful and I, I've, I've encouraged it for my children. I think an awareness of just there is something more than all of us, you know, the spirit, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe in, but there's something, there's a power that guides us, there's a power that looks after us, there's a power that um, supports us, right, um, back to a practice. Um, those are some of the things that I have inculcated in our day-to-day -day and I try and bring into my family with my children um, and hopefully it'll stand them in good stead. Wow, that's that's so lovely. Like uh, having having dinner together, it's something. Uh, it's it's a it's a great uh, thing to follow, where uh, everyone should be at, at the same place. They can share their feelings. They can uh, like they can talk it to each other because throughout the day we often. Uh, like feel like okay we have to do things we have to propose these things but somehow when we are at the uh dinner table we we feel like it's it's the home it's the place which we definitely need to have so that's that's a great thing right. so uh so community also plays a vital role in promoting the collective well-being as well so uh so in your experience like how can an individual uh find a connection and support within their communities uh so that this uh, so that and also how this uh, contribute to their overall sense of harmony so i think they say right it takes a whole village to raise a child mm. right and i think when i was raising my children um for example my daughter was in netball which is a team sport and there would be matches late in the evening in locations that were very distant but the entire netball community, the mothers, we all sort of got together and we would carpool or one mother would do the drop the children, the other mother would pick up. Um, they would get together. If we saw one child was feeling a little bit low, the mothers would rally around and make sure everyone was looked after. Um, you know, we made sure the girls had this entire community around them and gives them a huge boost of confidence, I feel, because they're not an individual, there's a whole group of them. And they're all sharing a common uh, goal, if you like, they're all striving for a common goal, and they're in it together, so to speak, right. Um, at school, I think, oh, with children, it's easier because the community comes through the schools through whatever you're doing. My children are now grown up, and they've, you know, gone off and they're at university and doing their thing. But your community is always going to be your choice of close friends, your family, your neighborhood where you are, 
And again, it's only about human relating, right? It's about finding the commonality despite our differences. So I live in Dubai and everyone here comes from a different part of the world, right? And all my friends come from different parts of the world, but at a very human level, there's something that brings us together and that you need to be surrounded by a group of like-minded people to just support you and to help you on your journey. Because my mother used to say to me, no man is an island. And I remember when I was a teenager, I might have said to her, I'm fine being an island. I don't need anyone. (laughs) But that's not true. I think you do need people to keep you afloat and to keep you um, on your journey. Wow. Wow. Loved the line uh, which your mother has mentioned. So... Mm. So also, like from your book, uh, in your memoir, uh, Meher and Me, right? So you you shared that powerful le- uh, lessons learned uh, through life's challenges. So now, can you can you highlight one uh, key lesson that uh, has a profound uh, impact on your personal growth and well-being? One, only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a few, but yeah, no, but one. I think, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not meaning to bring in the, the whole gender least. debate. At least one. No, no, I know. Not meaning to play into the debate on gender that rages, right? But as a female, um, I think what one of the lessons I learned fairly early on was the need to be financially independent. Mm. I think growing up what i observed and what i saw was women didn't have the voice and the seat at the table because they didn't have the financial means right and that takes away a lot of your freedom and your choices we didn't have the ability to make the choices if you don't have the financial means to make it so i think one of the lessons i learned really early on and which has been reinforced through my life through various other incidents is the need for me at least to be independent to be self-sufficient to be able to make the choices i want to make but to have the means to support those choices and i would say that to any young lady out there or any lady out there i think it's really important to have the freedom and the flexibility of choice the you know i have seen friends in situations where their choices are limited because they don't have the financial means to be able to take decisions that they might want to take. So being self-sufficient, being independent, being um, sort of being driven enough to want to do something for your own, to carve out your own identity, independent of whoever else you might be with, right? That for me has been, I think, an ongoing lesson through my life. Okay. So so um, if, if you want to share another one, definitely. I'm good, Abhik. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here all night. <laughs> but thank you. But I, I, I feel really strongly about that one. Um, and I really think that is, I mean, I see it all around me. And I think it's regardless of age, regardless of society, regardless of culture, that is such a common theme. Um, and yes, we're empowering young ladies to do so much, but it's also educating the men that they need to also change as the ladies are changing as grow together. Right. Exactly. Um, but I see that a lot. Exactly. True. Exactly. So uh, what advice would you give to our listeners who are on their own journey of self-discovery 
and striving to create harmony within their lives, families and communities? I think start with yourself, right? Um, because it's difficult to change other people or their reactions. You can only sort of master yourself. Um, for harmony, it's back to your mind, body, soul being in alignment, right? You're only not in harmony when those things are out of alignment, right? So it's about the food you put in your body. It's about the thoughts you allow to come through your mind. It's about what you read. It's about what you see, right? So it's almost like you need to edit and do a little bit of a review and an inventory of what do I read in the morning? You know, what am I, what kind of television or movies am I seeing? What company am I keeping? What health practices do I have? Do I exercise? Do I not exercise? Do I eat healthy? Do I not eat healthy? I think it's a little bit of an audit of your life in terms of, and just write it down and see where you can make changes. And it doesn't have to be a drastic change, but little incremental changes, right? If you just, and if you eat a lot of food that might be fast food, maybe cut that out and eat home food for a bit and see how that feels for yourself. Introduce some form of exercise. It means I may, yoga may be my preference. You might enjoy running or cycling, you know, or going to the gym or doing whatever it is that works. I find when you move your body and your body's strong, you feel stronger in yourself as well, right? Surround yourself with positive people. Surround yourself with people who lift you up. Um, I think that is also huge in terms of if you have people around whom you feel your energy sort of de deflates a little bit or you feel depleted, then maybe those are people you don't want to be around as much, right? You want people that feed you and help you rise. Um so those would be the things I would recommend to do. Um, and everyone will find their own way, but these are tools that have helped me. You know, maybe start a journal um, on gratitude. You know, every morning I might say to my children, three things you're grateful for. You know, when you focus on the good in your life, it's easier to start your day off positive because we do have so much that is positive. Um, the things that are negative will work on, but let's focus on and let's enjoy everything else that's going well in our lives. Yeah, starting positive is uh, the best way to uh, start our day. So uh, that's mm -hmm. that's so. Uh, th uh, so thank you, thank you, Farah, for uh, sharing your incredible journey and insights on today's episode of how many within the exploring society culture family and the mind body connection so i i truly appreciate like your personal experiences and wisdom have shed light on the transformative power of resilience self-discovery and finding harmony in a diverse and ever-changing world so through thank, you, you, thank you welcome welcome so through your multi cultural background and unique perspective, you have actually highlighted the significance of society, culture, and the connection in uh, shaping our understanding of family, well-being, and the personal growth. So uh, your journey of reconciling the mysteries of life, as I mentioned prior, uh, serves as a kind of testament to the human spirit and the profound impact of self-healing practices. 
So definitely we have learned valuable lessons from your story. And it also reminds us of the importance of embracing our uh, unique blend of tools to navigate life's challenges and nurturing the mind-body connection for a holistic well-being. So your insights on uh, raising culturally aware and emotionally resilient children, fostering harmony within the communities and finding strength in community support have actually provided us with valuable guidance. So as we conclude this episode, uh, we invite our listeners to reflect on the wisdom shared by Farah and consider like how can deeply apply these insights to your own lives. Because always remember that the journey to harmony within the society, culture, family, and the connection is ongoing. And it requires us to embrace our diverse backgrounds, honor our traditions, adapt to change, and nurture your inner selves. So we hope that today's episode has inspired you embark on your own path of self-discovery and cultivate harmony within yourself, your family, and the communities you belong. So stay tuned for future episodes of Harmony Within as we continue to explore these transformative topics. Always remember, true harmony begins within. So thank you so much.